And here we are, Cinema Squabble, episode number 89. Adam Gurky, Sarah Michelle Fetters, Steve Reeder here, and... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of film critics gather in in theaters. We are some of them. We bring the conversation that happens in those theaters to you in podcast form here on Cinema Squabble. Pika? Exactly. We'll be getting into uh, Pikachu momentarily, <gasps> because that is uh, that is just the that is just the the cutest dang thing, isn't it? Cute as a button. Um, but is the film any good? We'll find out. We'll. we'll uh, Chew the fat on this momentarily here. First and foremost, a few films to talk about, and also we've got uh, Beth Barrett, the artistic director of SIF, coming by in just a little bit, so hang on for that, because SIF, the International Film Festival, kicks off in one week, and uh, you don't want to miss out what's coming up in that. So uh, stick around with us here for that. In the meantime, I want to talk a little bit about this film called The Long Shot, or it was just called Long, Long Shot, Shot <laughs> which the, the general gist here is reporter Fred Flarsky who's Seth, uh, Seth Rogen. Uh, he's a writer with a cause and a conscience, and he quits his job as a newspaper writer when his newspaper that he writes for is actually bought out by Parker Wembley, who's actually played by Andy Serkis. Gollum, if you're not familiar with, you know, if, if you actually haven't Planet seen... Planet of the Apes. But if you haven't seen what Circus actually looks like... He still doesn't look like this either. He's got a ton of prosthetic makeup on. He's supposed to look like Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, he kind of does. But y- yeah. you get a general gist of his... Because he's basically yeah. playing Rupert Murdoch. Exactly. So, okay, so Parker, <laughs> Let's Wembley, just be honest. Parker Wembley buys out the newspaper. Oddly enough, uh, while uh, out on the town trying to kind of raise his spirit, Fred runs into his old babysitter. And this one babysitter, you know, the one babysitter that he had a crush on, as it turns out. Yeah, and who does she happen to be? She happens to be the Secretary of State. What? Yeah, that's uh, Charlotte Field. <laughs> Charlize Theron. And, you know, of coincidences of coincidence... Right. This is this all happens as luck would have it. Char- Charlotte is eyeballing a run for the presidency in 2020 and in need of a speechwriter. Knowing Fred's offbeat writing style, there may be a future in it for this guy. Maybe the job can be his. That's a little dash of ugly duckling romance, and well, you've got long shot. That's kind of the nutshell of the film. It's directed by Jonathan Levine, written by Dan Sterling and uh, Liz Hanna. Simple romantic comedy. Well, if I'd say simple, but I mean, it is definitely a romantic I, comedy. I, I don't know what would make it complex. What, what well, would... I mean, it is definitely, it's, it's you know, it, it is almost more of a political satire mm-hmm. about modern politics and modern media than it is an actual romantic comedy, except that there is an actual romance in the middle of the whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, it is traditionally... It follows the beat of a normal romantic comedy. You know, the two people meet cute. Um, they don't necessarily fit one another. Their their differences lead them into romance. There's complications. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, yada. They end up together. Yeah. Um, but the movie is far more interested in a, a lot of times in the political and the social dynamics of what their relationship involves mm-hmm. and what it is that... Um, Charlotte is attempting to do in her sphere as being a serious female presidential candidate. Um, and I will say, oh, I'm going to jump in on this breath yeah. you're taking here. Is I actually found the comedy in this sharp, pointed, and charmingly... Um, uh, the, the, the interaction between the two of them is fantastic. is fantastic. Like, the beard has somehow... It, is, it has amazed me. I don't know what all is going on with the Seth Rogen, like... Mojo, but he's he's got me like convinced that wow, this guy could be this guy, yeah, and she could be this girl, well, and 
If you were going to tell me that Charlize Theron was going to play the Secretary of State in the movie, I'd be like, yeah, I can buy that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that not a problem there. I, I totally get it. If you were going to tell me that Seth Rogen was going to play an astute political writer um, who ends up making a second career as a speechwriter, I'd be like, I'm not so sure about that. I think that. he pulls it off, though. And he's fantastic. I mean, he's he's really good. And their chemistry, which mm-hmm. is completely unexpected, is off the charts. Yeah, it's what sells but it for me. This is her movie. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. She is flat out fantastic. She's, in this she's film. fantastic, but I think they both deliver sure. their 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 comedic punches, and they land almost every one of them. I don't think there was a flat joke in there where I kind of went, "Meh, could have been better." I think they I, actually nailed it. I will say, I think the movie's a little long, two hours and five minutes. Yes, um, and I also think that at a certain point, it, it's political fairy taleness. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's always not very believable mm-hmm. just because of some of the antics that the two of them end up of partaking in. But I'm not sure it actually end, it, it, does, it, it, it earns its finale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I will also say that the, the, uh, the climactic speech that Charlotte gives falls a little flat, in my opinion, and doesn't mm-hmm. really ring true to a lot of other things that are going on in the film. And yet I still love this movie. And I, it's because I love them in it. I love the pointedness of a lot of the satire in the film. Mm-hmm. I think the comedy in it is genuinely mm-hmm. funny throughout. Um, and wa- there's there's one sequence where the two of them get to cut just full on loose um, for an extended party sequence. And it's the kind of thing that should just be absurd and should be it should be um, vulgar and it should be it should it just you should you sh- it shouldn't work mm-hmm. and yet i wanted i was almost rolling in the aisles a couple times and what's great about it is that jonathan levine and liz hannah and dan sterling the two writers um they twist it on its head when after all of this she has to go into an actual international crisis yeah and is forced to under extreme circumstances that we will not go into mm-hmm has to use her intellect in a way that she hasn't in the entire film. And it actually makes her a better Secretary of State in a weird sort of way. Yeah. Um, and, and it works. And the movie deserves this moment. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. I, I, I can't disagree with anything you've said. In fact, if anything, I would say we do need to shave about 20 minutes off it, like you're saying. It does get long in the tooth. But overall, I'd still recommend this. I'd say that to me, this is the theater for you it is a theater and yeah. it's it's a, too bad because we don't get a lot of adult romantic comedies like this anymore mm-hmm. and this one should have been a surefire hit and i really do think releasing it the week after end avengers game. endgame yeah. turned out to be a mistake i know it was supposed to be counter programming but when that movie's playing in almost five thousand theaters yeah people just aren't going to the alternate option because they're able to get into their first option. Sure. And it, this thing has just unfortunately been put into its wake. And I still think this makes a great date night. This I agree. Be, this is kind of this year's, um, wasn't it called date night or no game night game night last year's game night. Yeah. Last year's Ga- this is last year's game night. It's totally right in the same vein as game night. <laughs> and I agree wholeheartedly. If you love game night, you're going to love this film. Okay. So two theaters on long shot, Steve, what are your thoughts on intruder? Do tell. <laughs> Well, it's another genre film, mm-hmm. and uh, you talk about uh, sharp comedic lines. This one is clearly a howler. Yes. I can talk about that. <laughs> this is kind of a, a, a low-rent throwback to the sort of the psycho-thriller genre of the late 80s through much of the 90s. Uh, this one uh, directed by uh, Dean Taylor and written by David Lowry, both of whom are in a groove, by which I mean rut, because <laughs> they both made previous pictures in the case of Dean Taylor, Traffic, in the case of David Lowry, Lakeview Terrace, 
about young couples um, uh, in distress. Hey, Let's David Lowry wrote Passenger 57. I mean, you yes, always bet did. on black. In, indeed. There you go. So the, the basic premise here is that a young couple, played by Michael Ely and Megan Good, uh, who are doing well mm-hmm. in San Fran, Silicon Valley, decide they are going to expand to their dream home, especially her dream home, out in the middle of nowhere in this beautiful wooded area of Northern California, hmm. a house to be sold to them by Charles Peck, played by the Dennis Quaid character, who apparently um, his family has moved on, he explains, and he, he needs to uh, release the home to them. Got to go move to Florida. Exactly. Going to move to Florida, <laughs> move in with one of his daughters in Florida. He's going to release the home. It has all these wooded grounds and these beautiful terraces, this historic classic home that he's decorated in a very particular way, he mm. and his wife, for, for their family back in the day. And so now they move into their dream home, the Russells, Michael mm. Ely and Megan Good. And there is there is certainly a, a sense of dread throughout this film. And it's a movie that tries to compensate for all kinds of scripting issues, directing issues, and acting issues with lots of gotcha moments. I can't remember the last movie that tried to pack in so many gotcha moments, Mm. just constantly. But here's the problem, Mm -hmm. and I I will try to be a little bit fair, and then Sarah and I are going to go off the rails ourselves. (laughs) For about one-third of this film, it actually is plausible because it shows, crucial word, restraint. Mm -hmm. You know that something is wrong with Charles Peck. Okay. You know that this is not going to pan out well. There's too much talk about guns mm. and Mr. Russell's aversion to guns and how a certain member of his family died by gun violence yeah. in their youth. So you knew it was going to lead to this. Well, and, at a some de- point. and a dead wife that, you yes. know. Yes, this is mm. all telegraphed. But at least because the Dennis Quaid character shows enough restraint mm-hmm. and because the couple remains sufficiently plausible yeah. in their relationship and their aspirations. I thought, okay, I'm still with it. I'm, I know where it's going, but I, but then it goes completely over the top in the last two-thirds. <sighs> Overacting every trope you've seen in a horror film, like don't go down the steps into a dark <laughs> basement when you're alone and you've just stepped out of the shower and you're a woman and your husband's been trying to tell you how this creepy guy keeps turning up with cakes and with Christmas lights and, <sighs> and never seems to leave the property, please. And there is, I guess Sarah and I would agree this is more or less intentional, but it doesn't, oh, totally. it doesn't redeem the intruder. There are more than slight nods in the second half of the film to Kubrick, to mm. Peckinpah, to Hitchcock, to a lot of other oh. far better directors and far better movies. Yes. So for about a third, you know where it's going, but you can live with it, and then it just it just explodes in all directions. Uh. It is, I mean, Steve's right when he compares it to those 80s, 90s films, especially those 90s films. I mean, I was immediately called back to The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, to um, Pacific Heights. I was just going to say Pacific Heights. Pacific Heights. It sounds like Pacific Heights to me. um, Unlawful Entry, Sleeping with the Enemy. I would would definitely say it's more Hand That Rocks the Cradle with Pacific Heights. Mm -hmm. So those two most of all. But you've got elements of almost all of those 90s era thrillers that are thrown in here. And that was the film that kind of ruined Michael Keaton for a long time. Well, I mean, it, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, people loved him in the movie, and well, the movie was a hit. So, yeah. um, but I would disagree with Stephen that I think that when the film really does embrace its lunacy and its absurdity, mm-hmm. it is fun. I mean, the audience has a blast. It's one of those few films where when people actually talk back at the screen, it's warranted and I was okay with it. And when yeah, I mean there was one moment where um Michael Ely says something stupid and some woman yells out of the Oh no you did 
<laughs> yes, I, I failed to it mention was, that. There was a lot of talking yeah. back, especially from uh, young to middle-aged women in the audience. Yes. Oh, they, wow. I mean, it was almost like a Rocky Horror moment. They, yeah, and it they was were great. Talking, and, they, and by the way, some of their lines were very sharp. They were. They were sharp. They were on point. <laughs> and, it, and it suited the film. And so I don't have a problem with that because it was, it was actually in tone with the film. And... And Quaid is at his most Quaidiest that he's been in a long time. And I do mean that as a positive. Dennis Quaid understands exactly what kind of movie he's in. Yeah. He knows exactly what it is required of him. And the the first third, his his control, the way that he hides a lot of his interior emotions suppresses it. and yes. suppresses it. And you can just mm-hmm. see like the this, this stuff going on behind his eyes mm-hmm. so that when he does explode. Yeah. I think he's a hoot, and I really like him in the movie. My problem with the movie is I I do agree with you, and that I like that it's that they do take themselves seriously in that first third. Mm-hmm. But in a way, that's the problem because the movie has a generic exploitation B movie thriller ending mm. that is completely at odds with everything we learn about these characters at the beginning of the film and it undercuts the entire message of what is going on what ends up happening at the very end and the last shot and the fade to black is a slap in the face mm. and it just doesn't work if you're supposed to take any of this seriously um, because the for a while there, they do want you to take it seriously. And what Michael Ely's character is, what's ended up asking of him is completely unbelievable. And if it does actually happen that way, then this movie is like a right-wing gun nut Republican's wet dream. Hmm. Oh, I, I I can't agree with that. I, I don't agree with that. Even though I, I knew that we were going to have this kind of an ending once we were a quarter of the way into the film, I think, first of all, that ending is enigmatic. We don't know exactly what happens at the end. And secondly, it underscores the fact that it becomes Megan Good's movie, not Michael Mm. Ely's movie. Her character is driving that situation and driving a lot of the action alongside Dennis Quaid throughout much of this film. I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that I think it it really undercuts these characters that we've come to learn and does to to them a, a huge disservice all to just get a big Yahoo from the audience, hmm. which it does. I mean, the, the audience gives it that. But, you know, what was interesting was talking to people afterwards and they were like, yeah, I love the way. And then they thought about it and like, well, you know, I'm not quite sure I actually like the way that that ended. Hmm. And and you are right, because where the fade to black is, we don't know for sure. But because right. we're never going to get another one, I think it's still going to it's going to be read the way that it is shot. I will say this much. One final thought. Yeah. Dennis Quaid is undergoing a kind of career renaissance right now, if Mm -hmm. only because of his visibility. Mm -hmm. He's in a whole new series of very prominent national TV ads. You mean a dog's purpose or a dog's... Well, he's going to turn up in another film. Yes, a dog's (laughs) journey this year. So he's kind of emerging from a relatively dormant period in his career. And again, I I guess Sarah and I saw the same film, but we Mm -hmm. kind of flipped in our reaction. I think the first third is actually the more interesting part. Yeah, Sarah thinks because of the the, the kind of the camp factor mm-hmm. that that's the part that you know I, that's the part that I like yeah. I like the campy stuff I'm sorry the, the campy over-the-top silly stuff I mean you so, know the serious stuff uh, so theater rent skip where are you guys coming in on this I'm, I ha- I have to go skip on this one okay Steve's I, a skip I am Ooh. 
the end really pisses me off. There we go. It really does. The end pisses me off. So I kind of want to say skip, but I'm going to go rent just because I did enjoy so much of the film for what it was. And so I do like those 90s, those slick 90s B thrillers. And this fits in that vein. A laundry folding. Yes. It's rental. a total laundry folding <laughs> rental. Okay. All right, and fits about, that perfectly about that Dennis Quaid uh, uh, Renaissance. Yes, what was the what was the it was the dog's life, dog's purpose, dog's something. Well, the dog's was, life and a dog's journey is the one that's coming out. A dog's journey and, 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 and a dog's purpose so, and a dog's purpose was the last one. But the one with Dennis Quaid, the one yeah, he's in both of them. Okay, okay, yes. wow, well, he's it, this is a, so much to look forward to. The one to. that you are maybe going to see next week, but I'm going to assume you're not because you're going to go to the other movie screening that night probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a sequel. Ugh. A dog's journey is a sequel. Is yes. it a soft reboot? No, it's a sequel. Oh, it's an actual sequel. It's just more. It's it's more scenes of the dog. Who greenlit this thing? The last movie made a hundred million dollars worldwide. Oh, hey nine, hey nine lovers. Oh, yeah, I mean, and, hey, you get to go. It, it, you know, it's dog lover <laughs> porn. You get to I, watch the same dog live and die and live and die and I live and love, die and live and die. I love dogs too, but not like this. Wow, this, this seems. Uh, well, okay. think of it this way: you're going to be at the other movie screening that night, so you're not going to have to worry about it. Strong point. Fair point. All right. Let's talk about another film that I didn't like. How about this one? Uh, <laughs> professional Hustlers. <laughs> Josephine and Hathaway and Penny Rebel Wilson are two of a kind who just couldn't be further apart in style and operations. They're pitted against each other over a turf war. The two will have to pull out the stops to prove who's the better con artist. But it's a battle of wits that might cost them dearly if they're not careful. Watch what? your step, ladies. And Did you just like literally just read the synopsis? That's that's the synopsis I wrote for it. Oh, okay. Well, there you and go. Uh, right. this is directed by uh, Chris Addison, and it's based who knows on better who who definitely knows better, and it's based on previous works by Stanley Shapiro, Paul Henning, and Dale Lawner. And if those names don't ring a bell for you, it's okay. But let me they just point should. out two of the <laughs> three. They've been dead for about uh, 10, oh, yeah. 15 years, but they were major screenwriters from say. 1950 19, to 1911 into yeah. the 90s uh and and uh who's it uh, paul henning he's still active he's, yeah. he's still so these are well-crafted screenwriters but what is so surprising about this is this is and I they didn't really write a new script they didn't it's not that they're only on this because they get contractual credit because it's based on their previous properties and the previous property specifically most memorable to folks who is the are second one from 1988 known as Dirty, Dirty Rotten, Rotten scoundrels. scoundrels. And if you are familiar with Michael Caine and Steve Martin in these various roles, yes. these very same roles. Same roles. I, okay. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, I hold on the shelf as one of the all-time well, greats of physical comedy of Steve Martin's career. I, could, I, mean, I can he's, understand. He's well, got you know, several our, our in Brian, there, but that, that one in there is like... Our friend Brian Teibel considers it the greatest comedy ever made. It, I, I would not go that... I I'm do not, going, not agree with that. Yeah, I'm not going to go that far. Um, but he, I also do think that over the last 30 years, it is it has proven to be... Um, a minor comedy classic. Oh, and let's I think it's grown into that. And directed by Frank, Frank Oz, Oz. That's what I was just going to say. Which, let's not neglect the fact that no. the comedic genius of Frank Oz is in well, this, Well, and there's too. one other actor we should be talking about um, that also makes that movie tick, well, and that's Glenn Headley. Yes. So, that's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah. The Hustle is no Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. But it's the same movie. Oh, my It's gosh. literally the same. I mean... No, I mean Dr. Dr. Sheffhausen even makes an appearance. No, they really so here's the funny thing so the movie so the movie gets made in the 1960s with David Niven it's called Bedtime Stories they mix it up a little bit for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels mm -hmm. this movie The Hustle other than a, a, under than gender flipping it yep 
And then other than a third act character flip that we can't really go into, yeah. um, I don't think they really wrote anything new. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think they... And, and, and the stuff that is new and different... I'd almost believe if you were to tell me that Rebel Wilson and Anne Hathaway just made that up on the spot. I was going to say this is all improv. I would I would completely believe it, and they they probably didn't. Yeah, but I would believe uh, it. I, um, I, I think the it, weird thing is that the heart is gone, mm-hmm. the character development is gone, gone, especially in the case of a pivotal character mm-hmm. who's somebody that both of the two women are having to con mm-hmm. to sh- to prove who is the better con artist. That character, originally played by Glenn Headley in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, is fantastically underutilized and underwritten here and is not a full character. And so so they never get to feel as part of the production. So when the critical stuff happens, Mm -hmm. you don't care because you don't care about them. Most of the jokes fall flat. The The only reason there are even any snickers or titters or minor giggles is because the two actresses are are talented enough mm-hmm. that every now and then they do something so incredibly silly or, or funny or whatever that you almost can't help but giggle just a little bit. Yep. But you'd be surprised how rare that happens. Yeah. And the weird thing for me is... I was bored. This is a 90-minute yeah. movie, Yeah, and I, I was bored. There was one thing that I was looking forward to, and it's the whole Rupert the Monkey Boy scene sure. in 21st century. You couldn't really do... I and mean, and, and you, I, you can't. You no. can't. But I was curious to see how they were going to pull it off. And once I had identified, oh, this is Dirty Rock, because I went into this completely cold, not a clue <laughs> of what we were going to still surprises me that he, did, he couldn't <laughs> so, figure it out from the trailer well, that it was the I, same I, movie. never seen the trailer. Oh, okay. Didn't watch. Uh, that's why I said. Good for you. Good for you. Completely okay. cold. I went in thinking, oh, okay, I get the gist. It'll be two people, and they're trying to do a hustle together, or something like and that. And so the moment the screen, so, the title card on the screen said Beaumont Sommer, you went, oh, no. No, no, no. It was about, <laughs> it was about, about three or four lines in, and like one scenario in, and I was like, Oh no! Is this what I think <laughs> yeah. it is? And then, yep. I was, oh man! I, I actually leaned over to our producer Sprints. I was like, "This is a remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels." And she looks at me. She's like, "What?" I said, "No, no. This is a film." And she's like, "What? What year?" I'm like, "1988." She goes, "I was in a dance studio." You know what? I know. I know. I know. You know but, what's funny? So Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, yeah, it revolves around Michael Caine and Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a very clever evisceration of, um, you know, male chauvinism oh, yeah. and, you know, and male privilege and all of that this, sort of stuff. This movie, it's 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 one of those rare films fronted by two actors that in some ways didn't need to be gender flipped because yep. it actually did all of that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and that was the point of Glenn Headley's character in that film. I mean, you yeah. watch her evolution, you watch her character development, you see what happens. You know, it, it's it's very brilliant the way that Frank Oz and all of them handle it. Yep. If anything, by by having the two actresses by reversing those roles here, it almost undercuts yeah. all of the stuff that 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 the, the points that they're trying to make. I will say the majority of the men in this movie though do deserve everything that mm-hmm. that our two heroines do to them. Sure. And that's that's fine. That's fine. The, the, but you're right. The firepower that they bring, no. it's it, it's good for them. I'm skipping this. I can't even put this into a rental category. No, I mean, I'm going to say it's, it's go a, see the original. It's a skip. It's <laughs> a weird skip, but it's yeah. a skip. It just, yeah. it's, yeah. So enough about that. Yeah, that's good. Tell me a little bit about Pikachu. Pikachu. I have not seen Pikachu. Have you not 
watching Pikachu. I know literally. Pika, Pika, I know. I, I know so nothing about Pokemon. <laughs> I know that kids who are probably yeah. about ten years younger than me. Oh, twenty years younger than 10, you. 20, Twenty-five years younger than you. All go nuts for this. I know yeah. nothing. I know there's like a there's a, a ball. There's yeah. a dragon. Sure, it's fine. A little thing. I, I have nothing. I. Tell me about this. What's well, no, I mean, on? so Pokemon, De- so Pokemon Detective Pikachu is the first live-action Pokemon movie. Um, there have been countless animated Pokemon movies, um, and you know, for people that I am no Pokemon enthusiast, fan, historian, or any of that stuff. If anything, Pokemon drove me up a wall when it when I first started seeing it. But my brother and my sister, especially my brother, they were obsessed. Uh, my brother loved Pokemon, and so that's why I learned how to do the Pikachu voice because it just made him giggle. Um, and that was the extent of my po- Pokemon knowledge. So I can't tell you all the different Pokemon that are in this movie and what they do and right. and, and what makes them po- other than Pikachu. I know Pikachu, but as far as this is concerned, it is also so it's not only based on all of that material, the manga, the animes, the animation, um, the playing cards, the video games. Well, the whole this one is actually. I mean, and the other video games. This there is actually a detective Pe- a, a Pokemon detective Pikachu video game, huh. and this is. Based on that video game, utilizing all of the other Pokemon mythology from various other sources of Pokemon. Okay, so all words work. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the basic who's, gist, who's voicing Pikachu? Ryan Reynolds. Which okay, is, yeah. so okay, so we got we got Deadpool. There's voicing a familiar Pikachu. name. There's something I recognize. Um, so, Peachy Deadpool. Yeah, it's yeah. P- well, it, which is a, that's a good way to put it because I mean he's essentially voicing Pikachu as PG Deadpool. Okay, um, but. The movie is, at its heart, uh-huh. a sort of Raymond Chandler-esque, old-school Hollywood film noir mystery. And, you know, it sets itself up with... Um, Who framed uh, Roger Rabbit? Kind of, yeah. That's a good way to put it, too. That's, that's um, clearly its lineage it's another, it's in terms another, of yeah, I mean, that's, the technical aspect. Exactly. Yes. But, I mean, you know, you're here, you, you've got Tim Goodman, who's a 21-year-old kid, returning home to Rhyme City. His detective father has just recently been killed in a mysterious accident, and he's going home to, you know, to, 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 to clean up shop and to put everything in order and For everything. which Pikachu feels some responsibility. And Pikachu shows up. And was his dad's former partner. And Pikachu has had his mind erased. Mm. And even stranger, so when people and Pokemon interact, the Pokemon only, if they talk at all, it's basically just variations of their name. Which is why Pikachu goes, Pika, Pika. And that's it. And that's it. And that's what people hear. But Tim can actually hear this. What 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 Pikachu is saying? So, so they form a partnership, and then they solve this mystery, and and you know they think that maybe his dad isn't dead, and they go out to try to save the day. That's the movie in a nutshell. Hmm. Um, and I will say, when the movie just focuses on Tim and Pikachu going around acting like acting like detectives, mm-hmm. investigating clues, um, going after suspects, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's really entertaining. Um, their 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 interaction is strong. I think Justice Smith is actually quite good in the movie. I think Ryan Reynolds. I mean, yeah, he's done this kind of thing before, but he works as Pikachu. It, sure. it, his voice actually works, and they have genuine chemistry together. And these segments of the film work for me. When the movie starts moving into science fiction territory, when it starts moving into action territory, yeah. and when it leads up to its bizarro nonsense finale. <laughs> Which I can't go into, but it just just trust me when I say, as as 
uber villain plans go, yeah. this is the most absurd and stupid one I've heard in a long time. With Bill Nye as the villain. Oh, oh man. Oh, you're giving away a twist, I, though. But I, I do love Bill Nye. Because we're supposed to not know that. Oh. I mean, oh well. don't get me wrong. We figure it out with like 10 minutes into the exactly. movie. But I mean, exactly. but we're not supposed to know that. Mm. <laughs> um, but when he gets into all that stuff, I'm sorry. It just lost me. It's not. I, and I up front will say, I'm pretty sure this movie was never really meant for me. It's yeah. meant for people like my brother and younger than my brother who adore Pokemon. Okay. Now, Steve, obviously this film not for you either or meant for you. Can you take an appreciation from this or did you did you what's your what's your thought? Well, first of all, I am sold on this character yeah. that Ryan Reynolds plays in this film and in Deadpool. Okay. And I clearly I clearly tell you I'm fully invested in that character. <laughs> it does make for some awkward moments in a PG movie intended for kids and their parents because some of the humor is kind of pushing the boundaries. I don't want to hmm. give away no. any crucial lines, but there are a few turns of phrase that had me going, really? Hmm. I need to check the rating once I get out of the theater. What's interesting to me, even though I, too, am not an expert on the franchise yeah. and its history and all of its characters, I did find it visually very, very impressive. We saw it in 2D. Yes. There is a 3D version, and I think some sequences would be very effectively translated to 3D. But there are some inherent contradictions here hmm. <laughs> in, that, in that Tim's character is supposed to be an aspiring trainer, Pokemon trailer, and yet his whole, his whole attitude about Pikachu and his peers is one of companionship, friendship, mm -hmm. and not one of training to do battle. And that's also an inherent kind of contradiction in the film that the writers, the directors, make no attempt to resolve. No. I mean, and I think Nintendo probably is just fine with that. Sure. Because it lays the characters out there for you and allows you to pick and choose the ones with whom you sympathize. But generally, also just the way they're depicted, I mean, it's not only Ryan Reynolds' voice, mm. it's also his face capture yes. as Pikachu as well. No that kidding. works, I think, pretty effectively. I wow. agree. No, the, the visual effects that they use to bring these Pokemon to life is extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, I will say, the, the, Pikachu is one of the most adorable CG creations I have seen in a, in a live-action film in ages. I mean, Oh, with the rouge uh, on the cheeks. Yeah, it, it, he's just great. But I mean, and not just him. I mean, all of the Pokemon look great. Mm -hmm. And I do love that you brought up the visual look of the film because John Matheson, um, the Oscar-nominated uh, um, cinematographer of Gladiator and Logan and a bunch of other films... Um, I think this movie looks terrific. Yes, it's I a beautiful integration of yeah. live action and CG. I yeah. just wish I liked it more. Because <laughs> yeah. I think it's, a, it's it's impressively made. I just wish I liked it. This is, I mean, my, my so-called intellectual concerns aside, the ones yeah. I just voiced, <laughs> I have to admit this one did win me over. Aww. Because I think it's very humane and it's very sweet. And I probably was influenced by all the young kids around me who are just, you know... <laughs> completely yeah. sold on 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 right. on this film and these characters and these situations. I mean, I think it works for what it wants to be. It's setting up this new track hmm. as Sarah mentioned, separate from the anime, separate from the previous video games. This is now a new motion picture franchise sure. on a parallel track for for the Pokémon characters. And as movies that are coming out in the wake of Avengers Endgame, yeah. this one is smart. This one I actually think because it is geared so much to younger kids, mm -hmm. I think it can break through. I think it's going to be a major success for Warner Brothers. Even if I didn't care for it, mm -hmm. I think Steve's right. We're going to see more of this franchise because this movie is going to do very well. And purely because the Pokemon world, I know it's a crazy, wild, <sighs> big thing. People go nuts for it. I don't, but I understand. No, I so, get it. Yeah. So theater, rent, skip, 
I'm a rent, but just, I mean, but I'm also going to say, again, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. So take my pot. If, 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 if you respond to the positives of what I've said, then you're probably sure. going to want to see it in the theater. Sure. I'm going to step it up. I say, yes, see it in a theater. Okay. Wow. And, <laughs> and, and possibly, and, but possibly even maybe 3D going for the full visual yes, smorgasbord. I, I, would say, I, I don't think 3D is going to change it substantially, no. but mm-hmm. I think it will in a handful of sequences make it a, a slightly richer experience. But clearly, I would say, yeah, see it on the big screen. Okay. Wow. So, well, Pikachu. It's, and I can't even do the voice. <laughs> it's time to talk Seattle International <gasps> Film Festival. Joining us, Beth Barrett, Artistic Director for Seattle International Film Festival. Beth, you've been here before. You know the drill. We want to put you through your paces. We want to know what is amazing about this year. Every year is amazing. But what specifically makes this year amazing? Well, it's it's so interesting because we didn't go in thinking about women in comedy and really representing that sort of female voice um, comedically. And then we started looking at all of our galas, our opening night with Lynn Shelton, Nisha Ganatra with Late Night uh, as our centerpiece, and then Lulu Wang's beautiful um, film, The Farewell. We're like, oh, there are three women working in, in comedy. And huh. then we're like, oh, Regina Hall. Well, she's really pretty known for her comedic talents and working in film. And then we started just looking at a lot of the different films that are that are sort of rising to the top and and they're all they're funny and a lot of them are directed by women troop zero burton birdie uh blinded by the light Gurinder chada and, um, and and I'm gonna stop the return with, of Gorinda Chada. The return of Gorinda Chada. How long has it to, been? Uh, been? Oh my gosh, fifteen years, <laughs> right? I, it's since Benedict Beckham. Yeah, how is that just, possible? I don't know, but it's a great, great story. And I want to stop you also on Lynn Shelton out of the fact that Hometown Girl, I mean, yes. does good again. Again. This is, this is fantastic. Good. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Hometown Girl that you featured before, and I mean, other, her other films have played Sif out of season, yep. but she gets an opening nighter this time. Yeah, what? second time. Second time? Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. You guys remember the... Uh, your sister's sister. Yeah, sister's sister, 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 yeah, which ago. was also mm-hmm. very... I mean, what was it, though, about Sword of Truth that made you go, okay, this just has to be it? So Sword of Trust is so interesting because it... Um, I love Mark Maron. One, well, I think he's terrific, and the way that all those characters play off of each other, and especially now in this, in, in this sort of political climate where we're not quite exactly sure what the truth is, mm-hmm. because everybody has a different truth, and everyone's spouting out different truths. And so, what if it were true that the South won the Civil War? Oh, I mean, what, <laughs> what, what if? And what if this sword really proves that? And so it's this really um, interesting take on what's happening now and historical revisionism, but also really personal and heartfelt. It's not, you know, there's some there's some fairly serious dramatic moments in it that feel just so um, natural and just kind of that they come out of the characters. And I love the fact that she's been working in so much TV. She's had this ability to very quickly develop. This was filmed in 18 days. Mm. You know, very quickly. It's a fast production. It's very fast, especially for the for the quality that it is. So alternate facts, but emotional truths. I love. Can I use that? Of course. I'm just going to write that. Down. And even the alternative <laughs> facts yes. here have alternatives to them. <laughs> right. <as well. laughs> I know. I, I watched this movie this morning. Everybody needs to go see this on opening night. And it's it's fantastic. Just my little plug. Uh huh. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it is the 45th Seattle International oh, yeah. Film Festival, showcasing 400 films, nearly 90 countries, 140,000 plus attendees over 25 days. Am I setting this up well enough? I mean, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're doing and great. We're talking May 16th, basically through June 9th. Yes. So, opening night, 
May 16th, Sword of Trust. Run us through some of the other films that have really got your attention this year. Uh, well, <laughs> Grinder Chat is Blinded by the Light. Right, right. Um, that's uh, May 23rd. And then Late Night, the, our centerpiece, is an amazing take on not just the idea of the sort of lily white male writer's room in comedy, which is which is a, th- a thing that has happened in for well, for all of comedy on television. Um, and but also that the the sort of emotional feeling of being an older woman in Hollywood in a in a industry that just values youth and newness and something that constantly rolls over. And so to have Mindy Kaling, who wrote the film and also stars in it, and then the great Emma Thompson, really <laughs> just like takes it and runs. And also Nisha Ganatra working uh, primarily in television for the last number of years um, some, since Chutney Popcorn, um, also has this very insider look, um, you know, as, as a woman of color within th- that room that we don't always get to see. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask about documentaries. Oh yes, <laughs> this has seventy one of them. This has become kind of a docu centric film festival. I know a lot of friends who specifically look at the docs first. Already, I have seen excellent documentaries from Macedonia, mm-hmm. from Britain, from the United States, and this is just in the opening days of press screenings. It's an extraordinary range. What's going on? Are there more and better docs being made these days? Are we seeking them out more? What's the story behind the wealth of really good, strong, compelling documentary films at SIF? All of those things. There are more documentaries being made. There's more. Um, the technology is such that those smaller stories can be told. Like you wouldn't be able to see Honeyland, you know, 15 years ago because the Macedonian, the Macedonian film, yes. documentary about beekeeping. Um, uh, and and so much so much more, but they wouldn't have been able to afford the 35 millimeter film to follow, mm-hmm. and for the length of time and for the depth of time. And so, because technology has increased to the point where um, it's accessible, people are able to tell these smaller, intimate mm-hmm. stories about people that we wouldn't have known otherwise. And so, in combination with that, Seattle audiences respond to documentaries in in every audience voting we get at the end of the year of the top 20 at least 14 or 15 are documentaries and so people are going people are responding people are liking them and so we keep bringing more because we are we are a city that is curious i mean that is one thing about seattle is our curiosity and our willingness to both exist within our comfort zone and really push the limits of what our comfort zone might be and our openness to just try something new. Um, and I think documentaries hits all of those little emotional points for us. Um, so thank you. Yeah. I wanted to ask too about technology and access to technology. Last year we had the VR zone and uh, got to see a number of sort of groundbreaking technologies that are happening and starting to develop and foster. Is there more of that this year that we can expect? So not this year as much. Um, It's been an interesting year uh, with the VR Zone home at Pacific Place. Um, Pacific Place is under construction. construction, (laughs) So it's a a little bit more challenging um, because you need that kind of space and that kind of hub. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this year we're really focusing on on being on the ground floor for the filmmaking process. Mm-hmm. So we've partnered with Bigfoot Screenplay Competition in the film school, and we're having a, a, a live script reading 
on Thursday the 6th of June. And it's our third year of Works in Progress, New Works in Progress Forum, with four different international teams who each get three hours with an audience, with industry mentors, to screen what they've got. And then everybody in the audience gets to give their opinion and have discussion mm-hmm. oh, before it. the filmmaker says anything about that film. It is the wow. most amazing, powerful thing. You just watch those filmmakers like write page after page after page after page of notes yeah. because people are seeing their film and seeing things in the film that they did not see. There's mm-hmm. a, there was one film that, you know, the first question was, you know, is, is the lead character gay? And you could just like watch the the um, the face fall of the director because he's like, oh my God, that's the central point of the film. If you have to ask, I've done something, what is going on? But he yeah. didn't say anything. <laughs> and so to to be part of that, to be part of that audience and part of that process and to really feel like your opinion kind of can move a filmmaker forward into an incredible, for that film went on one, you know, hundreds of awards. Um, and that's the, the closing Thursday and Friday of the festival at uh, 10 a.m. and 2.30 Talking about people that haven't been around for at least a little while. I mean, four years isn't a long time in yeah. filmmaking world. But Peter Strickland's back with yes, uh, within fabric. Within fabric, what was it about that and and the w- WTF series as in full? Because there's some really fun stuff in in that series this year that I think people are probably going to get excited about. Yeah, there really is the the WTF team of Colleen O'Halloran, Dan Duty, and Clinton McClung. Uh, that lead that team did a great, great job this year <laughs> of some weird, weird, weird stuff, some horror, some actual straight up horror, um, which is incredible. And then some just like funny comedic stuff like detectives mm-hmm. and and really looking at, well, what makes something wild, terrifying and fantastic? Like what makes it it can't just be a slasher film. Because there's got to be a story. There's got to be something underlying. And, of course, with Peter Strickland and in Fabric, there's so much underlying. And it's just the atmosphere is is that sort of, like, creepy oppressiveness. And, you know, the fact that, you know, this dress is traveling about. <laughs> For people that don't remember, he, this is the guy that made the Duke of Burgundy and Barbarian Sound it's Studio. Um, and he's, his film's, like... In my opinion, they like tread the line of horror, but they're more they're so psychological in nature yes. that they're just disturbing as hell, even though a lot of time they're not that graphic. Right. They're bringing that sort of giallo, that yeah. kind of that underlying sense of dread that that comes with it. But you're just like, oh, God, what's going to happen? But then how do you transition from something like that programming and that to going, Regina Hall, let's bring Regina Hall in. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I mean, a Regina Hall tribute. Yeah. 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 She's amazing. She's really, she's been working for, you know, nearly 30 years in all different kinds of, of films, really cut her teeth on, on comedic roles. And, you know, the scary movie franchise made her famous. Um, but in the last four or five years, has done some amazing things to support the girls, which she won uh, the New York Film Critics Award for. And she was for, a Seattle Film Critics Society nominee for exactly. Best Actress. Exactly, um, and it, really incredible stuff. The Hate You Give, um, mm-hmm. Girls Trip was hilarious. Um, and she's in Little, which is in theaters now, and then in Shaft, which comes out this summer. She's doing some of the. She's sort of you know graduating some of those bigger title, um, like bigger blockbuster stuff. But it's so hard to work in comedy and still keep that that sense of of self. And so I think support the girls really is that that amazing um, uh, crossover between the two. She's funny, but she's also so heartbreakingly powerful. Um, and so it's, we're really really thrilled to be able to um, to honor her and to recognize uh, those talents and and how they've grown. 
So Regina Hall being one of the folks coming through, but SIF generally attracts <laughs> a large cadre of actors, directors, producers. I mean, this is sort of a hub. Are there some other folks and other names that you're excited to hear that are, are making their way the pilgrimage to Seattle this year? Uh, Daniel Shiner from The Death of Dick Long is going to come um, and present that. He's a very funny guy. His follow-up to uh, Swiss Army Man. Ooh. Um, <laughs> the, the team directors for um, Greener Grass, which was a giant WTFE sort of hit at Sundance, uh, both from the Upright Citizens Brigade, are going to be here also the closing weekend. And some of the guests that I'm most excited about um, come over Memorial Day weekend. We have two things. We have Shorts Fest weekend, which celebrates all things in the short form content. So episodic work, short films, um, and a lot of those directors will be here. And it's a really great time to meet people who will go on potentially. Mm -hmm. Maybe they stay in short films, but they might go on to make feature films and, and move all of that forward. And then also it's our Indigenous Spotlight, working with Tracy Rector and the Fourth World Media Lab and Longhouse Media um, to bring 13 different uh, mentees. That she, Fourth World Media Lab has, it's a year-long training with Big Sky Documentary, Sundance, and Imaginative up in Toronto. And they go to all four of these festivals and have classes and panels and networking opportunities. And also we're focusing on indigenously made films from around the world. Our Saturday party that weekend is Top End Wedding from Wayne Blair, who's an Aboriginal filmmaker, did The Sapphires a number of years ago. Mm. A very funny film. Um, and also Sagawi Kuna, The Edge of the Knife, which is the first film um, filmed entirely in the Haida, the native Haida language from up in uh, northern BC. Wow. Um, and members of that creative team will be down here to introduce that. And then we're doing a special free screening at, uh, well, two free screenings, one at the Gates Foundation on Friday of Memorial Day weekend, which is a kickoff to the spotlight um, with some short films and a prayer and a, and a um, sort of a craft fair festival. Mm -hmm. And then at the Seattle Central Library on the Saturday afternoon, with N. Scott Mamaday, word, Words from a Bear. Okay. Um, so really trying to make, um, to really focus on the power of indigenous filmmaking from around the mm. world. And we're really uniquely suited here in Seattle, which is a very epicenter of of indigenous activism, especially within the arts and culture. I'd like to talk about the combination of two other kinds of art and entertainment forms, and that is music. Yes. We've got docs here, David Crosby, we've got Miles Davis, we've got Luciano Pavarotti. I see Farinelli is coming back as an archival. It must be 25 years. I've already seen a wonderful dramatized music film, Wild Rose. Speaking of women-centric films, yes. Jesse Buckley and Julie Walters and Sophie Okonedo are all fantastic in this movie. Let's talk about the wealth of music-oriented film. Oh, it's terrific. Our Face the Music section is amazing this year. Um, for you know, for the the '60s lovers, we've got David Crosby, "Remember My Name," uh, from local direct, I mean, local boy AJ Eaton. He grew up in Seattle and and lives in C um, LA now, um, but produced by Cameron Crowe. Uh, which is a, a terrific, terrific doc, warts and all, super warts and all about David Crosby, who really burned a lot of bridges on his mm -hmm. way to get uh, to where he is now. Um, we also have Woodstock, Three Days That Shook a Generation, which has amazing archival footage wow. um, of, you know, the... <laughs> We're not going to get Woodstock 50. We might as well have the film. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but also some of the other ones that are a little bit um, a little bit off the beaten path, things like A Dog Called Money, a portrait of uh, PJ Harvey, who's just mm -hmm. an extraordinary artist in every sense. Uh, Piazzolla, Year of the Shark. 
um, about Argentinian um, uh, musician. The father of new Piet- tango. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then Shut Up and Play the Piano about Chili Gonzalez. Um, who worked with Peaches in Berlin. He's also worked with a lot of different people. Um, but nobody's really ever thought about, well, what, what about the piano player? <laughs> you know, in this band? But he's he's done so many different things, and he works in so many different genres. And then we also have um, Phantom of the Opera, uh, the silent film with the live score by the Invincible Czars, um, <laughs> which is, which is going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but bringing things back home, I mean, this has got to be one of the best Northwest Connections lineups in a long time. It really is. Um, it, it's just, it looks just stunning. Oh, thank you. Yeah, 41 films. Yeah. 41 films around the around the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> which is huge. Um, a lot of short films, all different genres. A lot of short films by younger people, which shows that the efforts that, that you know, we're putting in and, and the high schools and colleges around here are putting in and, and nifty, um, mm. some really like bringing, bringing young people into, into filmmaking as a, as a craft. Um, but also some extraordinary docs, Fight Fam, um, Stories of Us, mm. Lynch, A History. The, the history of Marshawn <laughs> Lynch is fascinating. The man is a fascinating guy. Yeah. Because it is not, the film is not just the history of him as an athlete. It's actually more of him in relation to media yeah. and how mm-hmm. he interacts with the media and with the world right. um, and and has this aspect of um, how racial inequities within what the media expects of, of um, uh, football players in, in specific, but, uh, you know, major, major sport um, athletes is really interesting and and sometimes hard to watch. I just wanted to ask one more real question, quick question on that. Yeah, SIF tends to uh, you you have multiple theaters uh, in your <laughs> in your in your quiver that you guys can screen films at. You've got the Egyptian, you've mm-hmm. got the SIF Uptown. Are there other venues we need to be watching out for this particular season? Well, we're back in Shoreline again, okay. which is a terrific place to see a film. Free parking. We are um, uh, out in Kirkland. Uh, at the Performance Center there. We're in Lincoln Square, um, and we are down in the Arc Lodge the first week, uh, which is a terrific neighborhood theater. Mm. Um, we're also, of course, in all five of ours and the Pacific Place through the entirety of the of the festival. Fantastic. It's the 45th Seattle International Film Festival, again, showcasing more than 400 films, nearly 90 countries. Beth Barrett, <laughs> Artistic Director, thank you so much for being here with oh, us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. SIF.net being the website. Uh, again, that is SIF.net if you want more tickets, information, showtimes. Uh, the, again, the venues, if we blasted by them too fast, you didn't a have lot your of pen them. and paper ready to jot that all down. Uh, a lot being uh, a lot to be discussing and exploring there. Uh, real quick in review, talking long shot, two theater recommendations from the Squabblers. Uh, Intruder getting a rental and a skip. Uh, the Hustle getting two skips, and Pikachu splitting the vote. That's a theater and a rent. Steve, are you working on any projects at this point? I am very SIF-centric at this point. Thank you very much. You're, daily even, <laughs> you're even wearing your SIF pass I'm right wearing now. The pa- I know, right? I'll be doing daily SIF notes for King FM, as I have for years, and uh, looking Love forward it. to chatting with Lynn Shelton and Mark Marin when they're yes. in town. And Yes, it's going to be very SIF-centric for the next roughly five to six weeks, I would say. Okay, and Sarah? Mostly SIF-centric, like like Steve. Um, I will have a preview of the this year's Seattle National Film Festival in the uh, Seattle Gay News on Friday next week, next Friday. Um, and that'll include another interview with Beth, who was just here. Yeah, and are, are there going to be Sarah's picks in there too? Or? For that, no, probably not. But, I mean, you'll see my reviews and everything as they pop up when the film's... Um, when the films open theatrically. Excellent. And if you follow me on Twitter, I'm going to 
I, I will. You will see what my thoughts are and the stuff that maybe won't be opening you theatrically. You'll be a vocal party, shall yes. we? Yes. All right. Well, Cinema Squabble episode eighty-nine for the books. Thank you so much for joining us again, Adam Gerke, Sarah Michelle Fetters, Steve Reader, and our producer Sprints Arbogast. Thanks much.